Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand in your life as a young boy or a young kid in Orange County that made an impact on you? That's a fun question. Uh, Nike, without a doubt. I grew up loving basketball, watching sports, and you know, Nike not only cemented the the idea that like wearing it wasn't just a shoe, right? Like it was a shoe that stood for something, and you know, having the air pockets in the back probably had no meaningful like change in performance, but just like what they put sort of in my head and made me think, even to this day. Uh, of how incredible like the the brand is and the product is, but uh, that's probably one of the first you know elements of marketing that shaped me and made me think about something differently simply by the message that they were trying to tell. They continue to push like the innovation in, in not only product but in also like storytelling that I think is like a very compelling case study for generations or for decades. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years. I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Nick Tran, the head of global marketing for TikTok, arguably the hottest brand in the world right now. Last December, TikTok was named AdAge's Marketer of the Year 2020. Our guest, Nick, is also highly awarded, named by both Fortune and AdAge as one of their 40 under 40. TikTok is, of course, the leading destination for short-term mobile video with a simple purpose that has especially resonated during the pandemic, to inspire creativity and bring joy to people. TikTok is owned by the Chinese company ByteDance and does not disclose revenue and profit. But get this, TikTok has about 2 billion users globally and about 100 million active users in the U.S. alone. That's roughly one in three people. Nick began his career as an IT consultant and has since worked for a wide range of brands, Taco Bell, Stance Socks, Samsung, and Hulu. This is my conversation with TikTok's Nick Tran. Nick, welcome to the CMO Podcast. I am in your hometown of San Diego recording this podcast, and I would like to know where we find you today. I am in my home in Los Angeles, but I'm a Southern California native, so I've spent uh, my whole life down here. Well, I noticed you went to high school in San Diego. You went to college in San Diego. So I want to ask you, those are very formative years. So what happened in those years to help shape the Nick we know today? Yeah. So I was actually born and raised in Orange County, California, which is an hour north of San Diego, but I did do my undergrad in San Diego. I think uh, it's a mix of the laid back California, especially Southern California lifestyle that's kind of given me my general disposition, um, but also kind of growing up with uh, uh, parents that immigrated you know, from Vietnam and, and having that first generation mindset has really propelled me. Uh, with, without even realizing it, I realized that my best friends growing up um, 
ironically, are all first-generation Americans, though none of them are of the same descent. So I'm the only one from, like, Asia. There's another friend from, like, uh, Egypt, another friend from Ireland, and so on and so forth. But uh, we just had this bond of always trying to grind and do the best that we could to not only, you know, make our families proud, but do stuff that we thought that, you know, was almost impossible to do. You Are you still friends with those kids? Uh, kids yes. Anymore. Yeah, we're, we're definitely not kids anymore. I can tell you that. <laughs> but uh, we, we, uh, we speak to each other once a week. We have like a, a Zoom call since the pandemic. Uh, we try to text, uh, you know, almost every day. But I, I feel like having a close circle of friends that you grew up with and who've known you through all the different changes in your life, it helps keep you grounded in such a fun way that's different from like a, a spouse or even parents. Um, so having that uh, as part of my life from, you know, high school up until now has has definitely shaped a lot of uh, the way I think about things. Yeah, super. I have friends from my parochial school that I'm still close with. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They are my closest friends. Yeah, we have a lot of shared experiences. I think shared experience is a fundamental aspect of life that people often overlook. And I think it's, it's having those things that really uh, help you help you in so many different ways that might not even be tangible or expected at the time. But, um, you know, it's something that I cherish for sure. Now you worked at six companies since UCSD and I'm going to list them. Okay. Unisap, which was acquired. You were there for several years. Taco Bell, Stance Socks, Samsung, big one, Hulu, and now TikTok. I want you to make a really tough call. Which one of those experiences was the most developmental for you as a leader and why? Yeah. Uh, interesting. I don't, I don't often share this. Uh, so this will be the first time. UNICEF was started by my father. So oh. uh, my, my dad actually started an IT consulting firm with my, uh, with my mom actually eventually being employed there because she was an SAP consultant for a while. So just by the, the family trade, I, I got into IT consulting and it was sort of something that was always a conversation at the dinner table and something that just came natural to me at a younger age. So even though I didn't study in that realm, it was just a natural pivot for me. But uh, aside from like the life lessons that my, my parents have taught me you know, throughout the years, I'd say the most pivotal for me and where I am now is definitely Taco Bell. I, I feel Taco Bell, there was some magic during that time that uh, allowed me to think about marketing in such a different way. And it was almost like grad school. Like I felt like I got a PhD in marketing based on the leadership that was there. The way that uh, the way that the campaigns were run on six week cycles also really equipped me to learn more about the go to market process and think about insights more deeply. And I can easily rattle off, you know, several people there that are now current CMOs at other places and who've all sort of taken the learnings and apply that to different industries. So it's, it was definitely the most pivotal in terms of uh, where I learned, uh, you know, the foundational elements of marketing. How did you go from your family's large IT consulting firm to a marketing job at Taco Bell? Those are two very different worlds. How did that happen? It was actually a project that my, uh, my team at, at, at UNICEF was acquired by, or yeah, it became mm -hmm. Aptelis and it was acquired. Um, we were working on this project where I was responsible for not only the business partnership, but the functional specs of a website that we we're working on. And at that time, I was interfacing with the creative agency because they were essentially mapping out what the look and feel of the site was going to be. And I was here like on the back end drawing like charts out on how this would actually 
work and, and it quickly realized that I didn't want to be on this side of the fence. I wanted to be on the other side of the fence. So I had a, a great conversation with uh, my boss, aka my parents, and, and, and told them that uh, I'm really passionate about doing marketing. And it wasn't even a, a, an issue. Uh, they, they basically said, like, we love that you found what you're really passionate about. Obviously, you know, you could do marketing here, but if you want to do marketing elsewhere, uh, we recommend that you try to apply to graduate schools. So I applied to get my MBA, uh, was accepted to a, a couple different ones, but uh, I stuck to Irvine, UC Irvine, because I was actually still working on a project in Irvine at the time. And I wanted to make sure that I was still helping out with the, uh, the family business as much as I could. So I, I went to UCI. Actually loved the experience there, figured out how to like not only learn as much as I could about marketing, but also figure out some some life hacks in terms of schooling. I um I had a, a quarter where I was actually taking five classes and I was auditing two. So I was taking seven classes just because I loved learning about marketing and I, I didn't have as much experience in marketing as other people did. And the life hack that I found was that if you're auditing a class, you're not required to participate because you're not taking it for a grade. So the professor told me ahead of time that I'm not going to call on you, even if you have an answer or something or you want to participate, like I need to save that for the kids that are actually taking the class uh, for a grade. So I, I recognized that since they were going to review those you know, mandatory readings or the, the coursework in the class, I looked on Amazon to see if, if people were buying this book, what other books were recommended. And I would actually mm-hmm. read the other books because then I figured that I would be doubling up what I would learn in that class because while everyone was reading the assigned book, they would then discuss it. So I would know everything that was in that book anyways. So that whole time I was auditing those two classes, I was actually taking the equivalent of basically nine classes because I felt like I just had a big um, hurdle to overcome in terms of my lack of marketing knowledge. And that just sort of propelled my my drive to try to like have this insatiable appetite for learning as much as I could about the industry and the space. You started at a great place. I mean, t- in the marketing world, Taco Bell is, is just a, a, a school of marketing. Yeah, I, I see behind you, you have a, a Yum Award. It looks like uh, I do. The, I do. Uh, the KFC Award, which I also have in my, in my, in my yeah. uh, living room as well. The uh, Changing the Face of, the, of KFC Award from the, uh, from Cor- the CEO. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> correct. It's the, best, it's the best gift I've ever been given in the corporate world. And yeah. Nick, is, we're on a video call for our listeners, and behind me is a picture of myself as Colonel Sanders. Yep. And it's an award given by Yum for someone who has been notable to them. Yeah. And and that was given to me uh, by the team uh, uh, at KFC because I had mentored one of them early in my career at P&G. That's incredible. So that, was, that was given to me as a thank you, as a I, gift of a, of a generous gift. Yeah, same, same uh, for me, although I will say your Colonel Sanders version looks much, much more accurate than I guess mine was because I, I don't really <laughs> look as Colonel Sanders. He's like, right. as most people would expect. <laughs> so good eye, Nick. Very good eye. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, on this journey you've been on, uh, who has been the most influential mentor of yours? I'm sure your parents have been, but and maybe we'll talk about them in a bit. But who else? Yeah, I, I try to break it down into two different groups. There's a group of mentors that were at the place that I worked at. So they were either my manager or my boss or my boss's boss or someone cross-functionally that was part of the company. And, and it it's great to have champions and advocates within the company, but I also have a set of mentors that never worked with me and they, for some reason, took a, took a liking to me and wanted to try to help me in my career without any real tangible benefit because, you know, my success didn't really lead to anything for them as opposed to the folks that I, that I worked with. So when I think about the group of individuals on both sides, 
I'll start with the the group that was really you know really in the work environment. But you know, there's people like uh, Tressie Lieberman, who was my first like uh, like long term manager, and she was she was the type of person that never like worried about um, recognition in any way. And when I when I say that, I mean like most managers would probably want to be the one mentioned in press, right? But uh, whenever I did a project um, and and press would reach out and say like, oh, we'd love to talk about this. She was always so generous in letting me sort of take that moment and share the work that we'd done. And she's also continued to be like a a guide in my career decisions overall. So she's always been like a a rock in terms of people that I've worked for. You also have folks like Mark Matu, who's the CMO of Samsung. He's also been like a, a great mentor and a guide. And, and honestly, like every every place I've been, there's always someone that I can name that has been that champion for me uh, internally. Um, when it comes to the the group outside, I find that to be the most interesting group of mentors because they there was no benefit for them, and and what they did has really shaped and paved you know the way for me for for my career. And what I did was I I actually took time last year um, where I actually figured out it was like to be to be. A little background. I realized I'd been in marketing for eight years, like last year, and I commissioned uh, my favorite artist. It's an artist named Frank Nonfiction uh, from LA, and I asked uh, this artist to to make eight individual original pieces of art that sort of symbolized what these mentors meant to me. And I gifted each of them this like amazing piece uh, of artwork that I just wanted to one reflect on what they did to contribute to my career, but also two just to acknowledge. Um, how grateful I was um, for them being a part of that, even though they they had no real benefit to to doing so. So, those mentors um, have definitely been you know huge factors for me. What was what was their reaction to that, Nick, when you gave them that unexpected personal gift from a favorite artist of yours? I think they were just surprised uh, at first because I didn't tell them that I was doing it. I just literally delivered it to them, and when they when they received it. They're obviously really grateful and happy. They love the artwork and, you know, some of them talk about, you know, the artist or all those things. But ultimately, I think, uh, you know, part of them probably felt a little bit of like this proud moment where someone that they've been mentoring for years made it and was able to give something back to them of, of, of significance. Um, so I definitely think that there's, you know, some element of that that I uh, mm-hmm. that they've seen. But um, yeah, every, everyone was just so surprised by the gesture. But I told them like, this is a small, you know, Thing that I could do, given how much they've really shaped my uh, my career so far. Did you? This is an interesting creative question. Did you give the artist a brief? Or I did. did. You have pretty yeah. yeah. What was yeah, the brief yeah. like? The brief was essentially like a a portrait that merged um, Renaissance art, which is like my favorite type of art, uh, but with a, a fusion of really like interesting, innovative technology. So what the artist ended up doing was. He took a, a Renaissance art piece of a portrait of someone that sort of reminded me of this this mentor for whatever reason, and then he would turn the whole image into a, a vector file, and then he would use that file to then laser cut uh, all the lines uh, from from the actual piece. Um, he also made all the lines out of perfect circles, so it's basically a bunch of like elements of circles that build up this this complete picture. And then the part that was laser cut, he used like this ink to like basically fill all the areas that had the negative space. And then he painted this background and then glued the laser cut pieces into the piece. So what he came up with was in my mind, the, the merge of two different generations. 
he brought um, things that were otherwise seemingly juxtaposed from each other into uh, a single format. He was also able to take something old and make it new again. And that, that was sort of the brief I told him. I said, like, these people were really impactful in my life. They, they did things, you know, in a previous time. I'm trying to do things in a new way. But if there's a way to, like, bring that sort of, like, symbiotic relationship and showcase, like, what that means to me, that'd be really cool. And I felt like he, he kind of nailed it. Wow. Hey, this is a little bit, a bit of an aside, but when I was promoted to CMO at P&G, we kind of renovated our offices, made them all open, but we all had a space to work and we were given a little budget to decorate. And I said, you know, I don't want to choose from a catalog. I want to talk to some local artists. And I gave, uh, I gave, I think it was 15 local artists, one of our brands. And I asked them to do a piece about that brand. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And it was just unbelievable. And then I held a reception so they could all meet each other. And they were all from the Cincinnati community. It was so cool. And that became That's a little cool. bit of a, you know, a tourist stop to come see the artist rendition of Bounty and Pampers and Pantene. Yeah, that's really cool. If you have pictures yeah, of that, fun. that'd be amazing to see. Yeah, I'll see what I can find. I'm not yeah. sure they're digital, but let me, let me see what I can find. <laughs> what would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Hey, I want to talk a bit now about TikTok, of course. Uh, you've been the head of global consumer marketing for TikTok for about nine months now, so still kind of relatively new in your role. And it's clearly one of the fastest growing brands, however you look at it in the world. You were at Age's Market of the Year for 2020, which is a big, big recognition. You've grown active users by like 60 million people in the US alone. I mean, it, I could go on and on with stats. So I want you to start, Nick, with what is so special about this culture yeah. that is achieving this incredible uh, engagement, magnetism, creativity. What is it? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's any one thing, but I can mm. tell you a few of the uh, ingredients that make this uh, amazing platform. Uh, it's easy for us to say it starts with the community. I mean, honestly, without that community, we, we wouldn't have the, the platform that we have. Uh, the creator community specifically is so interesting because when I think about what has really made TikTok unique, it isn't any one element. Like if you if you look at Reddit as a platform, there's elements of Reddit that you can almost define, whether it's like meme culture or like very interesting internet wit or humor or various things in, in that degree. If you take like other platforms, you can also distill like what makes them them. But I feel like TikTok was able to pull numerous groups together and actually find this white space where they could all thrive. Uh, it's almost like where the ocean meets the river, where like new life forms sort of like flourish. I feel like that's what I've, I've seen TikTok, you know, really come to be. And uh, beyond that, you, you have this amazing pro product and a platform that's actually allowing uh, people to be very creative and express their full self, like on a single platform. 
And then you have the opportunity for people to actually see a window into other people and get a sense of who they are, what they like, and, and how they behave. And then you also have this amazing bridge within the product that allows you to see different communities in a way that you otherwise wouldn't because you're not just necessarily needing to follow them. Just by default of the content graph doing its thing with the, with the overall the algorithm, you're getting exposed to a whole bunch of stuff that you otherwise wouldn't have even known to follow. So a lot of those elements, in my mind, make TikTok so unique, so fascinating, and so to your point, like just, uh, you know, engaging, but also I think it, it starts with the leadership within the, the, the platform itself, um, from a company standpoint, I've never seen so much generosity. I haven't seen so much, um, like, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like the, the first week that I joined, it was actually in the midst of the pandemic. It was April of 20, uh, 2020. And we weren't talking about, you know, what can we do to drive growth? Or like, is this the time where more people are on the platform? The uh, interim CEO at the time, every morning when we had an executive stand-up meeting, the question was, what can we do to deploy more of our funds to areas that are net, like are needed right now? So like we had a COVID relief fund. And the question was always, how do we get more money into the right people's hands faster? And how do we help as much as we can? And that really showed me the heart of this company you know, within my first week. And I realized that this isn't a place where we need to focus on the business aspect, like the, the heart uh, of the matter is, is more about like society and culture is, you know, at large. I, I work with a company that has a software platform that measures brand purpose and links it to business results. And your brand just knocks it out of the park on brand purpose and especially on commitment to society. And I think it comes from your activations. And your activations are so creative, so visible, so helpful, so much about the user or the creator. And it's just, uh, and, and the partnerships you've done with companies in that space have been, including P&G, have been very remarkable. Yeah. It's amazing to work at a place where you feel that your work is not only impacting the business, but also society. And when you have that perfect storm, if it's something that, that drives you, it really makes you compelled to work harder uh, than any other place you've been because you feel like you're making a difference beyond just like the bottom line of a, you know, of a, of a corporation. So I, I'm, I'm really grateful to be here. You're nine months in. What's something that's going extremely well for you and what, what's something you're struggling with in your first nine months? Yeah, I, I will say first thing I struggled with, which became the thing that I think is working really well. Up until now, I've always felt that I had developed or learned the playbook how to succeed in marketing. And what I learned at Taco Bell, I applied at Stance and at Samsung and at Hulu, and it worked pretty much seamlessly at each place that I, I was at. And upon entering TikTok, whether it was a mix of the business being a platform, which is different for any other place I've been, or whether it was a mix of the pandemic changing the rules of the game for how people need to you know, uh, reach an audience, there was something so unique where the playbook that I had, it almost didn't, not only did it not work, but if I were to take it and flip it upside down and start with the last chapter and then work backwards, I realized that it was actually more interesting and it created more opportunity for us on a marketing standpoint at TikTok. So I literally had to flip my playbook upside down. And I told the team, a lot of things I'm going to ask you to do, I know you're going to tell me this is not the conventional way of doing it. And I'm okay with that. And we, we need to look at this almost like it upside down to figure out the right way to break through. And out of that conversation, we were able to come up with um, 
you know, this idea of like real-time uh, activations. And the, the idea of real-time activation in the past would be like someone tweeting something or posting something that corresponds with something cultural. Like that was like real-time back then. My goal to the team was if you see something happening in culture, I want it on TV within 72 hours so that when it starts to break on social or in like the internet, you see it actually happening on full display in television advertising creative. And we were able to actually figure out how to unlock that and bring that to life, which is how we got the Ocean Spray, Fleetwood Mac, Nathan Apodaca ad. We have another spot actually launching this week that will actually tap into something that I don't think people would expect us to to be able to pull off in time. In the UK, last week, we launched the whole Sea Shanties ad, um, which also highlights another trend that was happening that week and how it got to TV in that short amount of time. So that's been working really well, uh, just for us to show that all this stuff that's happening in culture starts on TikTok, and we're able to surface that and bring it to like the mainstream in such a tight timeline. has probably been one of the most fun uh, aspects of what I've been able to do so far in the first nine months. So what is it about this agility and this 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 rapid movement to be out there uh, before any any you know before people are aware of a trend. What is it about how you work that is different from Samsung, Taco Bell, Hulu, other places you've been? Yeah, part of it is the go to market process has been disrupted by necessity because you know with the pandemic you're not able to go shoot something live action anymore. The the reason why it's working so well for us is because we are a platform that's generating content from the user community. So we basically use that content to be our vehicle to tell the stories that we wanted to tell. So we sort of have like the, the cheat code, you know, for how to do this quickly. Um, you know, the, the little logistic stuff, whether it's uh, making sure that all the creators are providing the rights to it and whether the music is able to be licensed in time, like that's all stuff that you could do quickly and try to condense the timelines. But I think having the ability to look at the trends overall, identify which ones will actually resonate with like the mainstream culture, and then actually take the initiative to turn that into like a real-time campaign. That's sort of the the art and, and not so much the science. On the science side, we obviously can tell, you know, which videos are getting more momentum. We can tell which trends are starting to pick up. We can tell which ones are being saved more often, and which, which means there's a higher likelihood that people are going to create duets or stitches of them later on or all those things. So we have the data to support the, the path that we want to take. And as soon as you find one that marries into like our, our brand, you know, promise of what we're trying to bring and you, you pull an insight that's resonating with culture and we, we pull all that together. I think that's when you have the magic where people are like, oh my gosh, like I didn't realize that, you know, that was so fun or TikTok was this or that. And they were able to really digest it differently than they would have if they just saw a normal ad. You said a few minutes ago that this isn't traditional marketing. And when you started coming into TikTok and talking with your team, they said, no, we like to do it this way. Could yeah. you click down on that a little bit more? I mean, in your in your in your view, what is traditional marketing, and how has TikTok kind of upended that? Obviously, very successfully. Yeah, uh, there's numerous elements of that um, that I think are interesting, but uh, I'll just I'll just pick up some some highlights. I would say that the typical marketer they have a go to market process that they more or less have been taught. They've done it at other companies. They feel it's the, the right approach. And they essentially like recreate the same cycle with just different timelines. And what I mean by that is you normally have an objective and the objective is to increase X with this audience or whatever the objective for any company is. 
they then obviously go through some sessions where they understand like, okay, well, what are the actual insights and how do we figure out the strategy? And then what's the brief, right? Then that brief gets taken to an outside agency. Outside agency provides various options. You then come back with the various creative paths, pick one, they go execute it. In the meantime, you work in parallel with your media agency to figure out, okay, if this is the creative campaign, where's the best place to deploy this? Like That seems to be like the typical traditional campaign process. The reason why I think marketers are forced into that, that flow is because the thing that they need to know, which is like the sort of fundamental like starting point for all this stuff, is what am I trying to like tell people and who do I need to tell this to? Most places have a pretty good idea of who their core target audience is. And my, my I guess my hypothesis, which I, I still believe to be true, we're still figuring out, TikTok is actually an app for everyone. And it's the first place that I could genuinely say it's for everyone. It doesn't matter what demo, it doesn't matter what like background, it doesn't matter anything. Like TikTok is just pure entertainment. It's inspiring create creativity and it's bringing people joy, which is something that everyone could use. So I'm not looking at specific target audiences. I'm not looking at specific uh, launches that I need to do or a certain product that I need to you know, promote. I'm basically looking at where's culture right now, what's being spotlighted in, like in the world, and how do I make sure that I can showcase like TikTok's value to that community and then serve that to them in, a, in as rapid you know situation as possible. So I, I feel that like I don't have the constraints that a normal marketer has that they have to work through, which makes this so much more interesting and fun. Yeah. You were in this, you're in this very large global role, eight regions you're working with. Tell us, tell us what you do, Nick. If we had to follow you around for a week or a month, I guess we'd be in your home a lot these days. <laughs> yeah, but... I was say, you, if you had to follow me around, it'd be <laughs> right. very easy. <laughs> yeah. Just right there. But what, what do you spend your time? What, what, what do you do? What are your priorities? How do you think about where you focus? Yeah, I think as you know, and, and many other folks know, the the higher higher up you get in your career, uh, the less you have uh, you know involvement in the actual like creative of things. I actually try to stay as close to the creative as possible because that's what that's what I love. But it's really just about inspiring you know a large team to do their best work and. A lot of that, in, in my case, is, is meetings, which I'm sure isn't a surprise to most people, um, especially with the pandemic. You know, we're forced to plan meetings more proactively than we've had to in the past. You don't have like the spontaneous, uh, you know, forums that you otherwise would in, a, in an actual office environment. Um, so my days are pretty much broken out into three phases. I start my mornings uh, talking to the full team. So Asia, Americas, Europe. Middle East, India. And um, in that meeting, it's really late for some folks, really early for some folks, and like in the middle of the day for others. And then in the sort of middle of the day, I'm mainly spending time with the Americas. Um, so predominantly like the US teams, Latin American teams. And then in the evenings, I'm spending most of my time with uh, the teams in Asia. So whether it's uh, Korea or Japan um, or Southeast Asia, like I'm definitely on the on the phone with with them later in the evening. So my days are pretty much meetings, but what I, what I recognize is that at this stage of my career, there's only so much work that I can physically do myself. So my job is no longer coming up with the idea or coming up with the creative campaign. Obviously there are times where I'll, I'll think of something and I'll just text a few folks. I'm like, Hey, I'm thinking about this. Let's jump on it. So that, that still happens as much as I, as I'm allowed to do so. 
but, uh, but most of my time, it's, it's really thinking like, how do I inspire all the people on the team to do their best work possible? Because having 200 people do their best work is better than having one person do like their best work. So I try to think to myself every day, like, what can I do today that inspires our team to do something that they haven't done before? How do I get them to think differently about things? How do I push the, the edge and get them to try something that's a little bit, you know, uncomfortable? And that idea of getting to the place where they're a little bit uncomfortable makes me excited, you know, leading this team because I don't want anyone to feel like, oh, this is uh, the playbook that I use. Because that's, that's my mentality prior to coming to TikTok. It's like, yeah, we have a playbook. We could easily do this. Now that I know that that playbook gets thrown out the window, I'm trying to tell everyone else that like your playbook or your construct of what you think you need to do at TikTok, it's, it's not what you think. Like we need to really change the game and do something truly and significantly different. So how do you, I want to talk to you a bit more about that. You, you have 200 people. They're spread around the world. You're doing all this virtually. What are some things that work for you, Nick, in inspiring these team to, this team to work to their full potential, to bring everything to work, to get them into the uncomfortable zone? I mean, how do you do that? It's easier said than done. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it starts with asking the right questions to the team. I think that's a, a big part of it. Um, it also... A lot of it is uh, kind of doing things that are unexpected. I think with being at home and having everything done virtually through, you know, through video conferencing, uh, it takes a little bit of like the uh, spontaneity out of like the everyday work life. And uh, what I started to do when I first joined was I would invite uh, either a celebrity or somebody interesting to the team meeting without telling the team that they were they were coming. And it became a game where I would have them uh, not show their camera and then we would play 20 questions. And then as soon as the team was able to guess who the actual person was, they would reveal themselves and we would just have like a fun uh, Q&A session with them. Um, So that was actually something that the team really liked. It created a little bit of uh, surprise, which I think we all could use a little bit of right now. Um, And it it kept things a little bit light in terms of uh, the topic and the conversation overall. Um, the, the other thing that I, I try to do is lean into areas that need a little bit more attention and focus. So for example, like right now we've seen in the last, you know, I'd say like year, there's a lot of, um, things that have not only rose with like COVID and the need for like COVID relief. So which is why we've done this like happy at home initiative. And we've tried to drive like a lot of the stuff for not only like the community to feel like okay with having to be in lockdown, but also like things that we did for the the employees overall. Um, but we also saw a, a huge, um, you know, focus on Black Lives Matter and the protests. And one of the things that I was committed to was doing what I could externally and internally for uh, the Black community, especially the ones that are within our, our company overall. So I became the executive sponsor for our uh, our Black ERG called Black Excellence. So it's Black X. And in my mind, kind of taking my time to focus on areas like that which are, you know, a little bit of extensions of my everyday role, hopefully inspires the team to see that if, if you're passionate about something, if something is, you know, important to you, you can commit the time to it and actually focus your attention on trying to, you know, do something that you're, you're passionate about versus just the thing that you're told to do from a job perspective. If I dropped you back into one of the companies that you worked for in the last, in your career, or I dropped you into Unilever or Ford, or PNG, how would you view that job differently based on your nine months of learning at TikTok? 
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, my ultimate dream is to is to teach. So in my mind, I have nothing to lose. Like I, I never expected to be where I was, and I never tried to become you know the the head of marketing or a global CMO or anything along those lines. Like my my goal is just to learn as much as I can, have as much fun as possible, and make as many case studies so that when I go back to teach one day, I'll have firsthand experience that I can actually share with like a, a new generation of marketers and hopefully inspire them to do something amazing. So I think that the, the idea of having nothing to lose makes your work a lot more interesting. And I've always had that approach where if I did something that I felt conviction about, and for whatever reason, it didn't work and I got you know fired that day, it's not going to like change my, my life. Like I don't feel like I, I have to like be reliant on that, on that job or that role. So it, it makes the whole idea of taking risks or like trying to do the right thing, um, like unquestionable, it, it becomes like the, the source of real like objectivity in what I'm doing. I'm not trying to like cater to any specific person. So if I were to take what I've learned in, in the last nine months and see, and if I'm able to take what I think has been working and really like nodding to the community, doing things that are right for the community, uh, showcasing a taste of TikTok to like a broader audience, if you were to drop me into Unilever or P&G or whoever else, you'd have to be able to not be bogged down by the you know, bureaucracy or the red tape within the organization or like the politics of it all. You'd have to be able just to like kind of run with what you think is the right thing to do, which most companies don't allow people to do, actually. Like the one thing that I've learned in my career is that the politics of any company, it's a real thing. And if you try to avoid it, you're going to get hit with it really hard. So you have to figure out how to ride that wave and, and make sure that you're, you know, surfing it rather than trying to like stop it from happening because it's, it's impossible. So um, having that mindset and, you know, feeling blessed and fortunate that I, I, I've gotten more than I've ever expected and it could be taken away tomorrow and I'd still be happy kind of gives me the you know, ability to continue to do what I do no matter where I am. Antonio Lucio, who just left Facebook, and I've known him for many years, he started his career at P&G. He has a great talk after he left Facebook reflecting his career. And he said one thing about culture. He said, you have to come in, you have to learn it, then you have to win in it, and then you transform it. Yeah, I think too many people come in with the mindset that they're going to transform it right out the gate, and it doesn't work. Like I think people need to recognize that the culture of a company is one of the hardest things to, to change. And if you don't grow up within that sort of like system to know how to navigate, you're not going to be able to actually transform it. In fact, any attempt to transform it would just be like a, a, a body rejecting some foreign organism and trying to like get it out as quickly as possible, which is why I think so many people who are talented end up failing because they don't recognize that you have to learn it, win in it, and then you can help to transform it. And that's definitely something that I've been, you know, uh, mindful of, uh, especially when I've had a few, you know, missteps in my career on not recognizing that and just trying to come in and change it from the from the jump. I want to talk about two kind of big industry topics before jumping into a really good lightning round with you. And the first one is brand purpose. You know, I, you know, I'm, I've been uh, talking about that on this podcast since we began. I'm a big believer in it and its ability to lift people up and transform marketing and branding. You have a wonderful purpose and you just said it a few minutes ago and it's so simple. It's so compelling. It's so aspirational. You'll never stop on the journey to achieve that brand purpose. So could you share with our listeners what it is? And could you share how it guides you, Nick, and your team in your daily work? We 
think about our purposes, inspiring creativity and bringing joy. So it's like very simple overall. But when you think about how that could be done, um, the analogy which I, or the metaphor that I, that I shared earlier, um, we essentially are the canvas, the window and the bridge. And that's something that was passed on to me. I didn't, I didn't make that up. That was part of like the, the DNA of the company overall. And then when you think about how we can really like push on that, I see ourselves as uh, a social entertainment platform uh, where we're not really just like a social network because you're not there to connect with your friends and your family. You're there to be entertained and inspired. And entertainment can come in many different shapes, right? It could be, I learned something new in an entertaining way. It could be, you know, I, I'm literally just being entertained because I see some catchy video or some new trend or some new, you know, whatever the video content might be. Um, but the idea of being a social entertainment, entertainment platform, to me, it, it makes us uh, take this role in society where we're giving you value by making sure that when you need to have like that moment to be entertained, we're there for you and the community is there for you to show you something that will make sure that you laugh or make sure you're inspired or make sure that you are emotional. Like we essentially, and I think someone said it best, it wasn't me, but they said, you're guaranteed like several emotional roller coasters when you're on TikTok for even half an hour, you're guaranteed to have like 12 laughs, you know, uh, three moments where you might get all teary eyed and like five things you never knew you needed to learn that you feel like, how, how did you live this long without knowing it? You don't get that from traditional entertainment anymore. Uh, I think the, the business of entertainment has changed sort of like the real power of what it can do. And I think we recognize that our purpose is to really just inspire creativity bring joy and be an entertainment platform that powers sort of like culture and feels culture in a way that I've never seen done before. Do you ever see this purpose changing? I don't think so. I think your purpose should be your purpose. And um, it's, it's one of those things where like, can we find new avenues to entertain people? Of course. Will that fundamentally change like the business? Absolutely. But if at the end of the day, our purpose is to inspire creativity and, and bring entertainment, in this case, like we're saying, Joe, but like if it's to inspire creativity, be entertaining and have entertainment powered by this community and fueling culture at scale, like no matter what it is we do, I don't think that purpose changes. I think the way that we might do that and the elements that we might use to do that could always shift. But at the end of the day, like our purpose um, needs to be our North Star. How do you know you're achieving it? What's, what are the, I hate to use this word, but what are the KPIs for you to, to know that you're inspiring creativity and bringing joy? I mean, there's a lot of, I guess, uh, more focused KPIs that I could be bringing up. Like, oh, we have Kantar do like a study and it shows us like the, you know, brand health tracker and all those things. Um, but what I, what I love more so than, than those elements are some of the, um, sound bites that you might hear from other places that talk about the impact of TikTok on culture at large. And that it could be, if you look at the past year of um, top 100 billboard songs, you'll see a majority of them that became popularized from TikTok, right? And then if you think about the breakout stars uh, of the last year that have become household names in terms of being like celebrity, like true celebrities, we haven't seen this phenomenon since, you know, maybe YouTube in the early days when people were jumping on YouTube and then becoming like household names. Since then, I can't name like a true household name over the last couple of years unless they, they're from TikTok. 
Um, so I think some of those elements really highlight the power of the platform and the community, but also, you know, it's our job to then showcase that to more people and inspire more people uh, to be part of that community. And it's not just about hitting the younger generation, um, but when you look at, you know, people like Nathan Apodaca, who goes by like, you know, Dogface and did the whole Ocean Spray Fleetwood Mac video, like there was a lot of people that saw that and felt like that was really uh, the vibe that they they wanted to see in 2020, given how hard it was for so many people. And seeing a creator, you know, that's completely different from what people expect to see from TikTok, really go from a few hundred thousand to like a few million and have people talk about that and have people recreate that and have celebrities like recreate that. Like that tells me that we're breaking through into culture and that we're inspiring creativity and bringing a lot of people joy. You have this incredible momentum and I'm going to ask a class, classic question here of fast growing brands. How do you make sure you sustain it and you, you stretch your competitive advantages and distinctiveness? You're in a special place now. There's no brand like you. Yeah. And so I'd love you to, I think there's a lot of learning from how you're thinking about that for our listeners. So what, what are you doing, Nick, and your team to, to you know, just never get, never rest in your laurels, never get complacent? Yeah, I think, I think the advantage we have now is that culture is truly starting on our platform, which means we're able to identify things much earlier than other people otherwise would. So that's like one thing that's in our favor. I think the the ability to turn that insight around into something that gets in front of people to showcase that like this really started here and we're basically laying claim that this trend or this you know viral moment or this song or whatever it is was born on the platform. Being able to consistently reinforce that um, with the speed to market that we have, I think will hopefully set a new bar for how creative is done in the industry because there shouldn't be a two or three month cycle for a campaign anymore. Like I think those days are going to make brands look irrelevant in the minds of the consumers when they see something that feels like it was on point two or three months before. Like that's just not something that I think would work. So if, if we can continue to push this idea of turning things around in 72 hours or less, um, I don't think any other company can match that, that, that type of speed. So I think that'll help us, you know, keep this moat uh, growing at the same time. I think we have to make sure that we acknowledge uh, the community, like without us continuing to double down on the community that's fueling a lot of the culture and fueling the content that's making us, you know, so engaging, I, I don't think we'll, we'll win in the long run. So, you know, the efforts we have with the, the creator fund and the stuff that we have going on with uh, different partnerships and collaborations and just making sure that the ads that we do are highlighting the community and giving them a platform that they otherwise wouldn't have had. We need to continue to double down on those efforts and ensure that they know and they feel, you know, without a doubt that they are very important to us and that, um, you know, in this case, they mean the world to us. So uh, those are some other areas that I think we can continue to, to push. I thought you might speak a bit about your algorithm or is so consumer centric. It, yeah, it is so good. It, it's so good at, at just, you know, I don't know, anticipating what might inspire someone. It's, it's remarkable. The algorithm is incredible. I'd say like we have, I'm sure we have an advantage. Uh, I, I'm not like a, an expert on the algorithm by any means. I know that we don't use a social graph. It's more content graph driven and that it doesn't matter if you have 100 followers or 100,000 followers, you have a chance to really have your video shine and get millions of views if it's compelling content. So I think there's some some magic there. But I, I, the reason I didn't call that out as like a distinct advantage, advantage in the long run is because 
once people recognize that that's an advantage, they're going to try to replicate that. And it won't be the algorithm or the product itself because so many people are trying to copy and mimic our product like almost to the T. It's really all the other factors that make TikTok unique and make us so compelling. Like you can't copy the community and you can't copy like the the heart that the executives within the company have and what their real mission is and purpose is. And it's not about just driving users. It's really about doing what's best for the community at large, helping society at large and impacting culture at scale, which is sort of what makes me so excited to get up every morning and do what I do. So it's culture. Yeah. I mean, that, that's literally the campaign. It starts on TikTok was the insight that we're seeing culture from all facets start on TikTok. And I've never been at a place that can truly say culture starts here. And I think the you know factor that the fact that people can come into the platform and be themselves makes it so they can, they can have like culture be fostered. Because if, if you don't feel like you're being yourself, real culture won't proliferate. It'll be like a fake version or a filtered version of it all. And I think that that's definitely an area that I think is an advantage for because people come to TikTok, they're completely vulnerable and they share things that they otherwise wouldn't share, which make, makes it a place where culture could really come to life. Nick, I want to save plenty of time at the end for our lightning round. And the first question I have for you is, what is on your TikTok for you page, Nick? Uh, Cleo Abram pops up a lot. She has a, a session where she's like telling you answers to questions that you might have. Um, I see Hank Green pop up quite a bit. He talks about science. Um, similarly, I see a lot of like food inspired TikToks. Uh, a new one that popped out of nowhere was, I think it's Yo Mama Can Cook or something like that. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's just a, a mom who's, who's cooking and making, um, you know, innovative uh, stuff with just the stuff that she has in her kitchen. So I think that that's my food definitely pops up in my feed. Um, I also see quite a bit about like um, uh, sort of the drama over dramatized, like little sketches. So I've, I've been seeing a lot of that more where people will act out like a whole scene and it's either comedic or it's like, did you see what was like the mystery was and can you solve like why that happened? So I see a lot of that stuff. It's, it's pretty much all over the board. What I, what I also I'm tending to get more of is um, uh, a lot of uh, personal finance tips and a lot of the learn on TikTok content, just because like, that probably tends to be where like I, I consume more time. But I definitely get a lot of random personal finance t- tips, which some of them, to be honest, they've panned out. Like I can't, I can't knock the folks that are you know sharing some really great insights overall in the finance space. What else are you uh, listening to or watching or reading these days that's interesting and inspiring for you? I've definitely been sucked into the uh, sort of the the recent clubhouse craze. I think there's a lot of um, great topics that I'm that I'm hearing there. Um, Could you speak a bit about the clubhouse? I'm, I'm not sure all of our listeners understand. I have recently joined as well. Yeah, tell us what it is and why it's interesting for you. Yeah, it's such a different use case than TikTok because I, I have spent like an obscene amount of time on on the TikTok platform, obviously. But with Clubhouse, like you, there's no video component and you're not showing yourself, but you basically enter these rooms where there's a specific topic that's being discussed. You have a few moderators and it's essentially part podcast where you have a few moderators just explaining or talking about various topics, but then you have the ability to participate, raise your hand, speak, interact, engage, and then they can also invite different people to come up and speak. So it's a very like interactive conference or podcast or however you'd want to look at it. And I think that the conversations that are developing on uh on the on the platform are stuff that you know touch upon 
so many different ranges of topics that you, you'll find a room that's compelling to you. And in the same way that I think with TikTok, there's, there's no type of like all the content that you could ever imagine. It, it exists in some shape on the platform. And it's similarly, I think as, as Clubhouse scales, anything that you'd want to listen to, whether it's like radio stuff or a podcast or something, it'll probably live on Clubhouse at some point. So there's definitely an opportunity for, you know, Clubhouse to essentially be like the, the TikTok of audio. Much like you, it's about the community, right? Very community driven. Yeah, I think brands of the future that just focus on the community, they're going to win. Like we've seen it with Airbnb. We've seen it with Uber, Lyft. You know, we've seen it with even eBay way before where if you just focus on disrupting a category and letting the community really power what you're trying to do in, in an innovative way, like you'll win. Like I, I think there's a formula there that a lot of companies can probably learn from and see success. We interviewed the Peloton CMO a few months ago. It was all same. about the community. Same. Yeah, yeah. Same. Whether it's SoulCycle or Peloton, like you'll win if you embrace the community and you think about the community in a different way. Like they're not just your ambassadors. Like they can actually feel your business model if done right. And I think we've seen that again and again. So I, yeah, I think there's a lot of areas for innovation to, to take place um, in different categories and in different industries. And me being in different industries at every step of my journey, it's very obvious to me that uh, the thread of the ones that become the unicorns are the ones that ground their business model around a community. And then you could disrupt literally anything. Like it could be yeah. suitcases and luggage, like what I saw with like Away, uh, you know, or it could be, you know, stationary bikes in your house, like what we saw. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. The community can like power a lot of real real growth. Nick, we're recording this leading up to the Super Bowl. So what are your thoughts this year about the Super Bowl and advertising? Some brands are stepping out. You know, Budweiser is doing sort of a corporate piece. A lot of yeah. people are using the time to express generosity and empathy. So what's your view on what's going on this year leading up to the Super Bowl? And, and what at TikTok are you doing, if anything? Yeah. Uh, well, one, I think it's crazy that Tom Brady is coming back to the Super Bowl. Like insane that someone has a 50% of going to the Super Bowl or finals or World Series. Like if someone had a 50% rate on success like that, they'd be unstoppable. So I'm, I'm just shocked, still shocked that, uh, you know, he's basically 50% <laughs> in his career for Super Bowl appearances. Um, but from a marketing branding standpoint, it, it, it is a, it's a different year. And I think, for the ads that do run, I genuinely expect to see a lot of people talking about reflection and, uh, you know, looking forward. It'll be like sort of like the same themes of like 2020 was tough, but like in 2021, like look to fill in the blank company to like, you know, be your friend in the future, whatever it is. So like I, I didn't feel compelled to like jump in to, to the conversation this year because I think you're going to get a lot of that same theme. Mm -hmm. Um I also think you'll you'll see a lot of brands who might come out for the first time and just really like lean into like, this is who we are and we're going to talk about our our brand, which I think is fine for some of the brands that 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 need that. But um, I I don't know like in my mind this is the first year where the Super Bowl ads aren't as compelling to me as as uh, like the the news in the world if that, if that makes sense. Like normally mm -hmm. I like the Super Bowl ads and it, it makes me think about like. The world a little bit differently or i'll see an element that's teasing out something that's really like cultural but in my mind there's like so much happening right now especially in the united states that the 
the ads, I don't think they'll hit the mark in many cases. And I think it was smart for a few of the big brands that have been coming back year after year to just like take a pause for this year and like rethink their plans for maybe next year. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that this is going to be a year where we won't walk away with any ad making us feel like really like that would, that, that hit the you know nail on the head with what, what I wanted to see. Um, from, from a TikTok standpoint, we, we've announced that we're partnering with the NFL. We're going to do the uh, virtual tailgate. And it's just something that we wanted to provide to people since there's so many people that can't take part in, in forget about like being at the Super Bowl because a very few people can experience that. But normally, like especially in the U.S., the Super Bowl is also a moment where you come together with like friends or family and you like watch the Super Bowl together. And it's sort of like a, a party and a, and a moment to hang out. And without having that this year, we at least wanted to help provide like a virtual experience for people to enjoy at home and not feel like they were missing out on the stuff that they otherwise would have been missing out on. So there's going to be like, you know, special appearances and performances and all that stuff. But again, um, similar to happy at home, while people are at home, uh, we definitely want to provide more experiences for people to like engage with things that they otherwise wouldn't have had, had access to um, in a way that's entertaining. So the more that we could do that this year um, and, and make people not, you know, constantly think about the fact that they're missing out on these things. Um, I think that'll be our contribution in terms of, uh, you know, 2021. Last question, then I'm going to give you a chance to ask me the final question. You'll have the last word. But you spoke early on that you haven't shared with people that, you know, your first job was the company your parents founded. And why don't you, if I could ask you, why don't you talk about that? I mean, that's, it's a pretty remarkable achievement from your parents. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't be prouder of my, my parents. So that's, that goes without saying. But uh, I don't know if there's... A stigma with with having you know your first job be part of uh, a company that you're you're you know you're sort of like the boss's son or whatever it might be. Yeah. So I, I've never really wanted to share that that's where I I started simply because I didn't feel like it was a time where I felt that I could just rest on on my work and say like this is what I've done and I've earned everything I did. I didn't get like the quote unquote head start. But I, but I'll be honest with you and say that like the my 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 parents and a lot of other folks they did give me that head start and I'm happy to acknowledge it now. And it's also like a completely different field, but um, it's, it's taken me a long time to recognize that I have accomplished enough to not have people think that I only got like to where yeah, I am because sure. I had like the, uh, you know, the, the easier start. Yeah. Well, you and I met before the pandemic started. We had a coffee together, with Samantha Avivi on my team when you were at Hulu and yeah. And it was a special conversation. We talked about technology and branding and culture, everything that we talked about today. So, and I had a sense that you were on to other places when we had that discussion. And I'm so happy you, you landed at TikTok. It's a great match for you, Nick. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been fun to not only talk to you, but also you came to speak to us when I was at Samsung in Cannes. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the first time where I was able to like really see your approach to, to marketing and being a real, not only student, but like you're an expert in marketing, but you're still a student and you're still learning so much about it and you're sharing all that knowledge you know, so graciously. Um, and, you know, it's something that I've, I've been very excited to see and, and humbled to be a part of. Last word to you, Nick. Thank you for that. Any question for me to close out the podcast? Uh, favorite brand, unexpected brand that, that you're, you're watching right now? Like what's a brand that you think is doing some really cool work that you, you wouldn't expect anyone to say? I watch a lot of young companies. And, uh, and some companies, and I invest in some young companies who are purpose-driven and typically with a different business model. 
So uh, there are a lot of really interesting things happening in health and wellness, of course. So a few, uh, a few disruptors in the telehealth business, mm. a company called Parsley is one of them. Uh, I'm actually look. Um, I'm interested in a baby food company that is working on kind of, it's, it's by a, a Stanford professor about uh, foods that are good for the brain mm. and kind of reshaping a, a baby's early diet. So I'm looking at a lot of interesting emerging companies in health, wellness, uh, and, and I think that's been a trend and this is just accelerating it in every way right now. Uh, in terms of large companies, um, you know, I'm interested to see where Twitter and Snap go in this crazy world we're in right now. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> you know, I'm sure you are. But I, I just, uh, I, I, I've been using both platforms for a long time for different reasons. And I think they're at a real inflection point. And I'm just, I'm watching them from a strategy perspective, culture perspective, uh, you know, and, and society at large. So anyway, we could, we'll talk about that after the podcast ends. <laughs> yeah, great. So Nick, thank you. This has been a treat. This has been a gift. Thank you so much. And all the best to you and your family as we go into 2021. Thank you so much. That was my conversation with Nick Tran. Three takeaways from this discussion for you to apply in your work. First one. Be sure your brand purpose is in your KPIs. TikTok does a beautiful job at this. When you measure your purpose, you set a culture and you achieve wonderful results with the community and their consumers. Second takeaway, when I asked Nick what the competitive advantage is for TikTok and how they stretch it and build the moat, he had a simple answer, culture. The culture of speed, the culture of valuing their community, the culture of creativity. Everyone's competitive advantage at the end of the day is the culture you build. Are you spending enough time on building the culture that leads to competitive advantage? Third takeaway, the power of generosity and surprise. The power of generosity and surprise is all about showing people what you value and thanking them for their contribution to your business and to your team. And at the end of the day, it makes for a stronger culture which seeks to delight people in all they do every day. Nick gave pieces of art to the eight people in his life who have made a big difference. Are we being generous enough and surprising enough with our team, our partners, and our customers? That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.